Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome, welcome, welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have your company once again this Wednesday afternoon. Just reminding you what's coming up over the next couple of hours. Yes, we're talking cricket on the show. Dundalk Cricket Club, they're looking for younger members. We're going to have a chat with their uh, child protection officer, Michael Hughes, a little bit later on. June Tinsley is here, the National Council for the Blind of Ireland are celebrating 90 years. 90 years this year, we're going to have a chat with June. Joe Hamill, he's ready to go. We spoke to him a year ago, a year ago to the day when he was setting out on his journey. Yes, running 10k every day for a year. He does his final run today and he's chatting to us here on the show. Roisin O'Brien is with us. She wants to highlight the wonderful work going on in a local cemetery. But first up on today's show, as we came on air yesterday, yes, we reflected on Michal Martin at Taoiseach, uh, the announcements about the delay in indoor dining and wet pubs reopening. We spoke to Professor Paul Moyna, who was of a different view entirely. But what about those on the front line, those most affected? I'm thinking of publicans, especially those who have wet pubs and really haven't traded for the last 15 months or so. Well, a little while ago, just before coming on air, I had a word with a good friend of mine. She's chairperson of the Loud Vintners, Vintners Association and she owns the Market Bar pub in Drogheda. Yes, I put it to Colette Nugent that, well, yesterday it must have been a bombshell. Yes, it was a bombshell, but at the same time, we, you know, when they start this flimmy flamming, you knew it was coming. They they move from one catastrophe to another, and you know it's abundantly clear now that Neffet are running the country. You know, the government are not in charge. Whatever decisions Neffet make, the government uh, act upon it and follow through. I mean, you know, what can you say? Ireland is now the only European country that is still not open for indoor hospitality. What does that tell you? Well, I think Greece, you know, is still, but they're changing that today. But where we are situated here in Drogheda, Northern Ireland is opening and lifting all restrictions on July 19th. Now, you know, what part of that does that not make sense? So, like, the government are asking to meet the VFI and the LVA now today to discuss a plan that they don't actually have. They don't have a plan, Jerry, in place. They're actually... They want to speak to us about a plan that they don't actually have in place. But the plan that they're talking about is implementing, which is nothing short of discriminatory and segregation. How do they expect us to police uh, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated? 
there's not a Republican in the country is going to do it, never mind being in a position to do it. And I'm sure on Garda Shia have better things to be doing than that. I mean, who are they going to put in place of it? They're, they're, they're kicking the can again down the road and the onus is on us publicans to do this, which is completely unacceptable. I mean, discrimination isn't the word here that's been being used against us publicans. And I, while we're not on here to mealy-mouth and the greedy publicans and the alcohol and the blah-de-blah, you know, it's, it's a bit more than that. There are people's livelihoods, their jobs, the industry, the whole thing, the myriad that's involved in this is a wider, far wider and far uh, more reaching uh, circle to this. You know, more hypocrisy. The person that's serving me in the outdoor venue the weekend is a young person. They're not vaccinated. So is the person that employs that young person, are they going to tell them, well, they can't work anymore? Like, none of it makes sense. And there's an old adage, if it doesn't make sense, well, it's wrong. Or if it doesn't make sense, it's a lie. Are we living a lie? Is it all that much hypocrisy? All this is doing is playing into the anti-vaxxers, playing into the conspiracy theorists. This is the whole completely wrong way. And what's abundantly clear is that nobody in government has a scooby-doo of a clue about running businesses. And they have even less about the reopening of a business and what it entails to get it up and running. Let me come back to you there. I want to come back to you in a couple of sure. points. Okay. So you remember what happened at Christmas time. The government wanted to give Ireland a Christmas and New Year and look what ensued. You can understand yep. that there is a fear that the same may happen again. Can you accept that? I can accept it, but I'll only accept it into the fact of this. If we go back to... I'm, I'm doing a bit of a, a, a political side, politi- politician sidestep here in that answer. While I do agree it was a, a crap show, the reality was this. Not everybody did look for it and not everybody opened it. But the few that they gave the restrictions to to open, there was a limited amount of where they could spread the people out yet again. But if they had rolled out and continued and got uh, expedited our vaccination programme, we wouldn't be where we were then and we wouldn't be where we are now. So it's easy for them, for them to keep you know, kicking the can, as I, I said. The, the reality is people are worried about that. But at some point, Jerry, do we not have to take responsibility and own it for our own health and safety? Do we not have to make that decision going into a, a, an environment? Like, if you're not doubly vaccinated, you're not going to be in a crowded area anyway. And even if you are doubly vaccinated, you're not going to be in an area where there are, you know, ramalang a ding dong everyone's sitting in each other's lap. I mean, you know... At some point, we have to, you know, when he said it on the television last night, Stephen Donnelly, oh, we're learning to live with it. No, we're not. We're not learning to live with this at all. There's going to be variations for years to come, perhaps, uh, a variants of this disease. And we're not learning to live with it. We're running scared from it. We have got to, at some point, say there are going to be casualties of war. And by God, I don't say that glibly. And I really don't mean to offend anybody. But the stats that they're coming from are where they're getting that analysis from, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. They went, they've done their their uh, their stats on the variants and the protocols that's been in place. The, uh, sorry, the figures in the UK. They knew these figures three weeks ago. Those figures weren't going to change in the next four to six weeks, but they still held us, you know, on the long finger that they were going to announce whether we were open. They knew two weeks ago that we were not going to be permitted to open for indoor hospitality trading on the 5th of July. They knew that. They're not saying that, but they knew that. 
The other thing that you have to remember is the government didn't stop the flights. The country was still open and trading. It was open to the UK and to other European countries coming in. So it wasn't necessarily the, not to be racist about I don't mean it that way. I'm trying to say it wasn't just down to our own selves that was visiting a restaurant or a bar or out shopping. The shops was all open. There's no segregation or time limits going to our local clothes store or our supermarket. And then the people can visit and home at Christmas. You know, and we can go back further again about the, the, the rugby and the race and the Cheltenham. You know, we can't keep blaming. Yes. It is what it is and we are where we are. Yes, yes. No, but I hear what you're saying and that is historical. Neffert, you said, are running the country. Neffert are the uh, people. They're the experts. They're the scientists. They're all the people who know about this. I'm a layman. You're a laywoman running a, a pub there or whatever. Who, who has the right to say, you know, that they're wrong? The government has the right to say that they're wrong because the government should be listening to the people. Don't forget that a lot of TDs went on record and said that this was the wrong decision for government to listen to Neffert. That, that, that's a fact. That came from, from Dahl. That the, you, there were TDs that said they did not agree with, with going ahead and listening to what Neffert's advice was. See, they were afraid now to go back on what Neffert because, as you've just rightly said, well, we didn't listen to you at Christmas. No, 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 look what happened. But, you know, isn't there something in- inherently wrong, rather, I should say, with this? If we are the, in the only country in Europe that is still closed for business. But yet, Jerry, on the 19th of July, you and I can go off to Spain. If we're fully vaccinated, no PCR, no quarantining, in and out, no problem, job done. But you can't go to the market bar and have a pint or any other pub in this county for a pint of Guinness or a pint of whatever it may be. You can't do that, but you can go to Spain, no problem. It's an interesting point you make. From your own perspective today, you have more or less remained closed. You you haven't opened at all right through Never this opened. time. No, you haven't. No. Uh, what about stock and uh, lining up for next week? As you thought, you would be open. Had your stock ordered, what are you going to do? I had the stock ordered, which has made me, you know, push me to, to have to open the beer garden this weekend. I have no choice but to do that. I'm, I'm sick listening to the government. I'm sick listening to the, the you know, the, 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 the moving the goalposts constantly. There's no continuity to this. I had no choice. I was very fortunate that I still had staff and were willing to come back, albeit on a part-time basis. They've all gone on and retrained. I may have them for a couple of months or I may not. Who knows? I know of one premises in Dundalk, I was told only yesterday evening, that they can't open because they've no staff. They can't get a chef. They can't get waitress. They can't get bar staff. Where does that leave us? What do we do? How do we go forward with that? The government are not listening to that, though. They're not, they're not aware of, you know, nobody wants to be in this sector, in this industry anymore, Jerry. for the simple reason it's not viable to them. It's not something that they can, you know, go forward, build a, 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 a job and get a mortgage and have all those assurities in place. So there's huge connotations mm. to that. There's huge worries in it. There are people here now that are just, I've said it before, I'm banging the same drum and I know people are sick listening to the same thing. People are very, very, very worried now. This is now the last straw. What do they think is going to happen? Do they think on Gordashia Corner is going to police it? No. How can they? Do they think the publican is going to police it? No. How can we? You know, there's no point in coming to us now asking us for a, a plan. You didn't want to ask us for a plan or involve us in a discussion before this. You told us, berated us, shouted at us, pointed the finger at us and told us, this is what you're going to do and look lively and be glad about it. That's not how it works. 
before we finish today, I'm going to give you the final word. What do you say to the government today? What is your recommendation? What do you say should be done? Our recommendation is this. You expedite the vaccination programme. There are still 60-year-olds in this country that are not double vaccinated. That's a disaster, an unmitigated disaster. Any more deaths in this country is on the hands of the government that is currently in place. And anybody else that holds public office needs to step up to the plate now. We are paying you to do a job for us. We have put our trust and our faith in you. You know, when you give someone your trust and faith, that's a very powerful thing to give to somebody. They're not standing up to that. They're not, they're not owning what they should be doing. And they should be expediting the, the vaccination programme. And we all need to just learn to live with it and have a little bit of self-responsibility. If you're going into an environment that is too full, don't sit in it and complain about it after or get on social media and complain about it. You go to the person that's in charge and say, this person is too close to me. Can I move to a different table? Do so. But if you walk into an environment that's too full, don't go into it. There's no point in complaining about it. This is the long haul. We are going to be wearing face masks and socially distanced for quite some time. To, but that doesn't mean that we can't live. It doesn't mean that we can't visit people. It doesn't mean that if you're fully vaccinated that you can't hug your mammy and all the rest of it. But going forward, the government need to sort this out and they need to do it now. There's no point in crying over spilt milk after it. They know what they need to do and they're not doing it. They're not listening to the people. What they're doing now is they're driving it underground and making it worse because there's too many uh, she-beans, too many anti-socialist behaviour that's going on around the place and it's making it all a really unsociable thing for anybody. Who would want to come and visit Ireland at the moment? Now, really, who would want to come and visit it? I know I wouldn't want to go to visit Ireland. I mean, imagine trying to run your business, Jerry. Uh, uh, dependent on the weather forecast. That's insanity. Colette Nugent there, can't you feel the frustration in the woman, the anger? So many questions, so many questions really. And I thank Colette for joining me on the show today. What do you think? You've been listening to her there. What do you think? Have you uh, an opinion yourself? 086-1800-658 is the uh, contact number for WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with me. That's 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. You know, I'm trying to think through this one myself or absorb it. And I think the whole, uh, what would you say, big issue underlying this is this. Our health service, which has been the focus of attention long before uh, COVID ever arrived and the deficiencies in the health service and the lack of investment, even though there's millions and millions going into it. The question is, is it being utilised in the best possible fashion? Is enough money going in about the resource, etc.? I think it's the chickens have come home to roost now because if this took off in any sort of fashion. It's quite obvious our hospitals can't cope. We haven't the ability to cope in the health service. And in a way, a letter from uh, Tony Holohan and advice from Neffet lets the government off the hook ultimately. In other words, that is the advice and it's the best way to proceed and it will ensure that we don't have the uh, hospitals inundated with cases. You know what I'm getting at? I think really that underpins 
an awful lot of this at the moment, what's going on. But I'd love to hear from you. The comments are coming in. Keep them coming to me. Always welcome on late lunch. 086-1800-658, WhatsApp or text. We're heading to a first break of the afternoon. And when we come back, I have a lovely young woman who wants to acknowledge the wonderful voluntary work going on at a local cemetery. Roisin O'Brien sent me a lovely email about St Peter's Cemetery in Drogheda and she's on the line. Hello, Roisin. Hello, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me on. I really ah, appreciate it. No, I'm delighted that you're with me and you've been a regular visitor since October. You lost your mum suddenly. Yes, my mum died suddenly on the 1st of October. And, of course, before this, although m- my dad did pass away many, many years ago, um, I really had no interest whatsoever in the cemetery, of course. You'd visit a handful of times a year, you know, just mm. to put flowers for anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, etc. But since I don't know what it is, something just clicked in me, you know, since my man passed away. And I just take great pl- uh, pride and pleasure in looking after her grave, you know. Yes. So I, I have been visiting because of the warm weather. I've actually visited every day for almost six weeks. Mm. to water the plants. So um, with that, I had the great pleasure the other day in meeting uh, Noel Carter. And Noel Carter just wanted to show me all the work that uh, John Joe Leach and himself have been doing in the graveyard. And it's just amazing, Jerry. And I had sent you on some pictures and you had seen them yourself. Um, and it's a lot of a lot of work and time and effort that has gone into what they have done. And I just think it's amazing. And uh, they are to be commended for it. It's you know? so nice of you to come on and tell us this story today. And I want to commend them because my own parents rest in St. Peter's Cemetery as well. And I am a regular visitor once, you know, the, the spring turns and the grave has to be tended to through the year like yourself as well. And I want to mention them again. Noel Carter and John Joe Leach, they're doing fantastic work up there. The flowers and they maintain the uh, peripheral areas to the graves as well. Noel told you a great story about the flowers, didn't he? Uh, yeah, what Noel does is, now John Joe actually grows flowers himself yes. and then plants them. But Noel, um, say we take some plants off the grave to put new ones on, Noel reclaims them and plants them. Hmm. And they're blooming. They're absolutely blooming because when someone's tending to them day in, day out, like, Jerry, you know how much hard work goes into just maintaining your own back garden or front garden. Like, this is a hell of a lot of work, you Mm. know. Mm. So it's just amazing just to see it in bloom up there. Yeah, it is. And I know what you're talking about. I've got the pictures. I've walked it myself and it's great. So people like put them into the bin there and they can be uh, reinvigorated and reclaimed. And the boys are doing a magical job. The other thing they're doing as well, you know, when families die out, you know, that the last uh, living relative is interred in the cemetery and then the years go by and there's no one to tend the graves. They're bringing those graves back to life, aren't they? They are indeed. Noel in particular is uh, working really hard at restoring graves and it's just fantastic to see, you know, because if nobody's looking after them, uh, what happens? You know, Mm. in years to come, they can be reclaimed, reused. I don't think people realise this. Um, I myself had the great pleasure in finding my great-great-granny's grave 
um, last night. And I only found that because my aunt and uncle, they actually maintained that grave. Like, that's amazing. Like, um, my great-grandmother died in 1910. Mm. Like, how many people can say that they can find a grave like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's a lovely touch. It's real generous of the boys. And I say to everybody, and there are many like John, Joe and Noel round the northeast in different cemeteries who voluntarily go in and do a wonderful, wonderful job. You've touched on something there that I'm curious about. You know, a grave that is... And uh, not now owned by anybody is of an age, nobody caring for it. You, you've heard that they are reclaimed and they're passed on to someone else. Is that a fact well, or is it just hearsay? No, well, I, I think it's a fact. I had been talking to somebody, um, a friend of mine, who um, said that one, a couple of her family members are actually in reclaimed graves. Mm. But that's it. That's the way of the world, Jerry. Yes. This is it all over mm. the world. Mm. Mm. In fact, the the only fate that I 100% know of that a gra- grave is forever is the Jewish fate. Yes. Um, yes. That grave can never be touched. It's sacred, mm. you know. Mm. But um, unfortunately, this happens all over the world. Yeah, if yeah. you were to Google it, You'll see that yourself. Okay. Okay. Listen, uh, uh, lovely to have a word with you today. Thank you for uh, bringing the boys to our attention. And I congratulate them again, Noel Carter and John Joe Leach. Uh, Well done to you. The cemetery is looking beautiful and you're doing a great job there, guys. Roisin, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you so much, Jerry. Bye. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Isn't she lovely, Roisin O'Brien? And to all the volunteers in cemeteries across the North East, well done to everybody. Thank you for all of your comments. Let's get a flavour of what you're talking about in the North East this afternoon. Noreen's been on to say, fair play to that lady, Jerry. What a great speaker. She makes such sense. That's Colette Nugent. Colette Nugent, who joined us top of the show, who is a publican and talking about the decision made yesterday to defer opening of wet pubs and indoor dining. Uh, Jerry, that lady is 100% Right. We can't have a few telling the majority what to do. The figures are off the mark. They should be rechecked again. The government needs to get a second opinion. Let's move on, as Colette says, and live with COVID. Hi, Jerry. The quarantine laws are in place, says Eric, to prevent variants spreading. If the health authorities went to court looking for an extension to the lockdown, the judge would throw the case out of court for the lack of evidence. Reopen everywhere on the 5th of July, says Eric. Hi, Jerry. Fair play to that lady, Colette. She makes some great, valid points. Government should have had our small adult population fully vaccinated long ago. They've had a year to do this. And as for the health service, it's going to get worse for the poor staff, many of whom have had a year of hell and are leaving, says Val in Drogheda this afternoon. On the other hand, Jerry, I never heard so much crap that that woman got into there. If the pubs open, we'll have two or three thousand people die. Will the pub owners put their hands up and say, our greed killed these people? Or will they go to ICU and help the people who are putting their lives at risk to save people? Another one disagreeing with Colette's point of view. I totally disagree with that lady, Jerry. The government are not experts. The medical profession are uh, and the government are between a rock and a hard place. They had a choice to make and they made the right one in my opinion would you rather 
2,000 debts in three months are open pubs for a few pints. That comes in from Eamon and Trim this afternoon. Another one there agreeing with Colette. I agree with Colette. The government are not listening or considering the broader picture. So many are struggling and it's been brushed under the carpet. Anne wants to know what about the confirmations that were to take place next week? What's going to happen now? I couldn't tell you they're going to be deferred, Anne, or put off for the time being, that's for sure. And all the people who've booked uh, tables in restaurants, bought all the new clothes and everything, it'll be uh, on at some stage. But when will that be? Another listener says, Neffet and the politicians will have a lot to answer for when the people get fed up. And they are getting fed up by the day, Jerry says another listener. And so on they go. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show, 1850-715-958, if you'd like to call in. Now... On the 1st of July last year, he set off. Yes, 10k a day for a year. 364 runs under his belt. Today is the day when he completes the 365th. We spoke to him uh, back then last year, shortly after he began. We've touched base with him as well from time to time. And I'm delighted to welcome back today, before he dons the shoes and gets out there, Joe Hamill. Good to talk to you again. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really, really good. Well, boy, you're almost there. What's the plan for today for the finale? Is there are the trumpets out and are there going to be a, a celebrations galore? Well, I, I, I suppose I, I've kind of I've been quietly celebrating myself since day 300 because I never actually on day 14 I'd never thought I'd see day 20. So I'm I'm delighted where I am. But today at half four, I'm going to run from. Donnick's part out towards Oldbridge along the, the, the Boyne mm. River. So I'll do two and a half K out, two and a half K back, and I'll do it twice. Right. So anyone that wants to join can can run, walk or cycle or, or whatever. So okay. that's the plan. Half four from the park they are there on the Ratmullen Road, starting there, yeah. out to Oldbridge, Dominic's Park there. 4.30, out back, out back, and you have your 10K done at that stage. And folks, if you're listening today, if you want to go down and give Joe a shout or good wishes or whatever you'd like to do, you're most welcome to uh, join him there this afternoon. You said there, come back to that, you now have my ears pricked up and, uh, and others as well. Why did you think you wouldn't get beyond those early days? The early, 14, like I was, I never probably, I, like I'm not a, a seasoned athlete. Um, I'm 47 years of age. Convention doesn't doesn't really bode well for a fellow my age to go and run 10k a day every single day without stopping or without having a break or whatever. So, and at day 14, I was feeling that I was tired. I was like I never probably ran 10 more never really ran more than seven days in a row. So yeah. I was 14 and said, "I'm not going to get to 20 at all. Like I'll I'll, I'll, I'll fall apart." But um, I just managed to, I suppose, not knowing what to do, I just, little tweaks in my food was a, a big thing. Like the likes of spinach really helped um, slowing down the pace and, 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 and obviously this different scenery and so forth. You're so lo- so, we're so lucky up here with, the, with the, the roots we have in the northeast. So I started to kind of vary stuff and just try and tweak things day by day. And that really did start to, I suppose it, it kind of made things easier. I got my strength back. I crossed that 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 hurdle, got my strength back, and I was back flying fit again. Um, so really, like I, I, I still can't believe I, I, I got yeah. this far. So Popeye was right. Spinach is the job. 
I, I, to be honest, like I, I didn't say it's one of the, it's one of the big things that helped my fatigue was it was a good dose of that um, every couple of times a week. Really did help the, yes, you know, to get rid of that dullness, that dull tiredness. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting and a good tip for anybody who is struggling look did you ever have um, a wee tweak or an injury that you thought this is going to end it or were you okay on that front I I, thankfully enough one of the hardest disciplines I had was was just maintaining my levels like I I knew I'm not getting injured I'm actually not getting injured here so I'm doing something right and it was a little routine I'd have twice a week maybe an hour two hours a week in total maybe no more than that just a little strength work, like go, stepping up on a step, and single leg strength work and so forth. I, I do it out in the garden. That discipline really has stood to me. That you know, it was a harder discipline, mm-hmm. I think, to maintain. Um, but there has been, in terms of injury, I'm very lucky that way. I, I did have an incident, as a few dog incidents, and one was quite bad on St. Patrick's Day where I got mauled by two Staffordshire Bull Terriers. And I had to go to the, I ended up in the VHI clinic and getting the stitches. No way. Yeah, and and the, the tetanus injections and so forth. So that was even the next day. It was a it was a harrowing ordeal because it was two dogs. I, I'd normally be comfortable dealing with one, but two was a bit of a problem. Mm. But I, even the next day, now I I I was really nervous about getting out. I even said to myself, "Will I just run around the garden?" I, I didn't want to go out to the road. I didn't want to yeah. go out to the dunes. So I, I at that point, I kind of I was a little bit wavering, and just thinking, "Okay, I'm after raising so much money, and look at like what my son went through in Crumlin, like." <laughs> I caught myself on, like, you know, that's nothing compared to what what yes. son has gone through in Crumlin and what his fundraising is going to do to the hospital. That really did. I suppose it kind of brought perspective back and yeah. got me back on track, you know. Yeah. Just on, I'm going to leave the story in a minute. Was there somebody with those dogs? There was. Um, mm. he, he caught up with them and he yes. had an office fight. It was so early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were a restricted breed. It was so early in the morning. Mm. He, he genuinely thought... There'll be no one out at this time. I'll just right. let the dogs off. And mm, mm. Um, he got an awful fright. Okay, um, yeah. No, that's, I, I just, I was curious to see that there was somebody with them. But look, yeah. um, I, I take it you ran in uh, hail, rain, shine, you name it. Was there a few days you were washed to the you-know-what? Oh, there was. But 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 that, to be honest, I just switched out of my head. If, yeah. if, if I'm, if, if anything like bad weather or anything like that, I treated it as something different. So I would actually relish the the opportunity for a bad stormy weather um, to get through it because, you know, it, 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 it that stuff goes away, it subsides. So in my head, I use that to my advantage to, mm. you know, really to relish that those type of environments. It, it, I, I have heard someone else say it before, you know, when they go out in the rain, that they, they say to themselves, this is character building, this is character building. So I, I just enjoy the varied routes and varied environments and so forth. So... It didn't bother me, the weather, whatsoever. Mm. You mentioned why you're doing this, and I'll just remind listeners, your son Joseph was seven years of age in June 2019 when he was diagnosed with having a large inflammatory tumour between his heart and his lung. And 
you are forever grateful, I know, to Our Lady's Children's Hospital in Crumlin, Dr Cormac Owens, uh, Mr Lars Nolk, all the people and their teams there who operated on him and got, you know, cutting edge treatment for him as well through this whole thing. And this is why you have decided you want to give something back. Now, you set up uh, the uh, under the justgiving.com uh, forward slash fundraising forward slash Joe Hamill, H-A-M-M, E-L is the spelling of the name. I just had a look at the total. Am I right? Maybe it's gone up since I just checked earlier on. €41,292. That's correct, Jerry. Yeah, it is. It's Wait now. Hold on. You're getting the... Just, there's only me here today, but let me say, I know they're out there all clapping for you. That is a remarkable total. What are you looking at? I see a 45k there. Is that what you're looking to get to? I I originally set out with five thousand in the back of my mind. Five, um, and and I you know that that's what I originally I said that I even thought maybe it's a bit too ambitious. Like I, yeah. I don't have a social media presence. I don't have any. Mm. Like I'm just a normal fella from Betty's town, you know. Out and I don't really have the. I suppose I, I see others, you know, that that, that have the profiles and so yeah. forth that can really generate. So I I have found that the biggest. It's overwhelming, really. You know, mm. it, it, it's spectacular because that money, without 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 um, our son, really, they, they saved Carmen saved our lives, our, our son's life because they were able to through their research team, which is privately funded through donations, were able to pinpoint a particular trial treatment drug and and get that on a compassionate basis. And without that, like without that fundraising, we would have really been in a Yes, in a dire situation, and and I, I just think it's this is for every child. You know, there's 170 thousand kids went through Crumlin in the last 12 months, so you know, it's I think it's something small to to just to repay back. You know, for everything they've done to us. Oh, Joe, it's it's not small at all. It's really, really significant. And I know, I know, I knew myself early on. You were talking about five thousand folks. He's at forty-one thousand two hundred ninety-two. He'd love to make it to the forty-five. You can give justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Joe Hamel H A M M E L. I really do hope you get to the forty-five. I no doubt there'll be momentum still after this final run today going forward. But you've done a marvelous job, and that is massive money that will help others. How's Joseph? Thankfully he is he's absolutely thriving. He's just he's shot up. He's grown what he's grown in the last six months Crumlin have said they'd normally expect a child twelve take 12 months that. So that's really positive. He's he's been looked after every you know every three weeks going Crumlin for regular checkups and that and they're, they're, they're delighted with his progress and he's delighted he's, he's, a, he's a lot more strength and he's getting on great in school and you know Really, you know, we're we're just so lucky to be yeah. where we are compared to this time two years ago. Like it's just because this is, I know I kicked off this time two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it, two it, years it, ago. Twenty nineteen is right. Anyway, yeah. Joe, get the boots on. You have about just over two hours to go before you do the final ten k. He's starting in St Dominic's Park and draw today at four thirty. If you're out there, give him a wave, give him a shout. You can join with him if you watch if you want to. But look, I say to you, it's been a wonderful, wonderful achievement. 10K every day for the full year, and he's nearly there to the 45K at this stage. Joe, good luck to you today, and well done again. And thanks from all the children and families you will help going forward who visit Crumlin Hospital. Thanks, Joe.
And thank you, Jerry. Thanks, thanks everyone else. Thank you. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's uh, Joe Hamill there from uh, Eastmead. What a job he's done, isn't he? Aren't people just wonderful, you have to say? Simply, simply wonderful when the chips are down. And again, not forgetting, not forgetting the people who came to his son Joseph's aid when it was most needed in Crumlin Hospital. They're fantastic people there. They really are. Wow, you know, Colette uh, Nugent, top of the show, has certainly spawned so much reaction to what she had to say. Uh, Jerry, I've been listening to Colette there and I have a solution. Pump fresh air into the pubs and restaurants and make them safer. Uh, and remember, you can work when it's raining, uh, says a listener today. I agree with Colette, says somebody else. She's right. The only backward country in Europe, that's us here in Ireland, Neffet controlling everything. All publicans and restaurants need to get together and open up. That comes from Sarah to me this afternoon. Paddy's been on, on the other hand. It just shows you the, the, the difference in, in, in opinions. Paddy was on to say... That uh, Colette, well, she sounds like a broken record. If the government listened to her and people like her, uh, look what happened at Christmas time. What result did we get? A full lockdown, which impinged on all of us. Our people's health, says Paddy, is more important than going to the pub for a pint, Jerry. Come on. Thanks, Paddy, for your comment to me this afternoon. Ah, yes, I'm delighted to see this in. Roisin O'Brien with me talking about the boys in St Peter's Cemetery in Drogheda. Eamon's been on to say, good afternoon, Jerry. Fair play to those men looking after the graveyard. An awful lot of work goes into that and people don't actually realise it. My dad, Tommy Landy, used to look after Mosstown Graveyard and what a job he did, but sadly he's unable to do it anymore. I would also like to mention Jerry Grimes on continuing to do the fabulous work my dad had been doing and a big well done to all volunteers in all of the cemeteries in Louth and Mead. That comes from Eamon this afternoon. Thank you, Eamon, for those kind words. It's really nice of you to mention everybody and I say it again. There are so many volunteers who keep our cemeteries beautiful. They really, really do. And well done to one and all. Were you watching the footy? Were you what? Of course you were. Log God, the audience from Ireland last night for the game, England and Germany. I, I tell you, I watched the first half. I had to go on an errand then and I missed actually the second half. But in the first half, I thought England were so cautious. And one chance near the end, it was cagey, wasn't it? But I managed to get in then and watch the highlights of the second half. And my, they got two great goals. The Germans missed a chance. They did. Anyway, they're through now to the final eight, the last eight. England, and they play Ukraine, who were lucky to get by Sweden last night after extra time. That matches in Rome the weekend. The draw's opened up for them. It really has. Who's going to win it now? I wouldn't discount anybody, but you'd have to say Spain are still there and Italy, along with England, you know, and I think, and Belgium, of course, are there as well, but two of those play uh, in the quarterfinals now. It's looking like England. I think they have the bus hired, the champagnes on ice already. You know yourself. They have it even at this stage, even though they're only in the quarterfinals. You know the way they are. They have it, they have it. They'll have to keep their feet in the ground and I think Southgate will. There's a long way to go, but but I said it, I've said it here on this show over the years, England are going to win a major tournament sometime and this could be the one. But we'll watch the space anyway. The football is great, it really is. Well, with England in mind, there has to be only one song we can play for you today. Do you remember this one? Oh, we'll be hearing this for 50 years if they go on and win it this time. Does this remind you of a few years back? We're not creative enough. We're not positive enough. It's coming home. 
I think they'll have to rewrite the lyrics. 55 years of hearts since 66. Will it go on or will it end? We'll see. The lightning seeds there with footballs coming home. Mickey Dunn's been on to me. Hello, Mickey. I can't believe you played that song, Jerry. Gosh, I wanted to play it for them. They're celebrating all over the day. They've won it already, Mickey. So you know it yourself. They have the trophy. The cabinet's been built. The parades are planned. The buses are booked. But as Ella says to me, just now, by text, never, never take anything for granted, Jerry. France were convinced they were going to win. There's more surprises and twists on the way, says Ella this afternoon. Well, we'll see. They're in a good position. They really are. The National Council for the Blind of Ireland are celebrating their 90th birthday. And a lot has changed since it all began back in 1931. And it's going to change over the coming years as well, as we're going to hear about now from their Head of Communications, June Tinsley. Hello, June. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me on. You're welcome to the show and happy birthday to you all. 90 (laughs) years is a great, great achievement. It really is. Can you remind us about the early doors? Who was behind the founding of it? Yeah, there was a a couple of um, women spearheading the the collaboration. Um, And essentially, at the time, there was about 13 different little organisations dealing with people who were blind scattered across the country. And essentially, they unified um, and... Um, what the main services that were being provided back then were really um, teaching of Braille in individuals' homes. Um, and it was very, very limited. Certainly the, the numbers were not really calculated. So from the records that we can see, I think the organisation worked with maybe 800 individuals uh, mm. in 1931. Um, of course, as the organisation has developed and expanded um, and more records and are, are being kept, um, it has evolved over the years. And we know now that there are 54,000 people um, with living who are blind or vision impaired in Ireland. It's a lot of people. It's a huge constituency that you serve. And you mentioned the interesting thing, why I, I talk about 1931, and, and, and you said it there, it really was driven by women, the formation and the bringing together of the disparate groups as well. And in particular, a, a lady called Alice Stanley Armitage. She was Armitage. Armitage. Was yeah, Armitage. Alice Stanley <laughs> Armitage was the main, I know, uh, driver behind it. But interesting at the time, when, when life for women wasn't straightforward at all, June. No, very very much so, you're right. Um, and they were often seen as kind of like the, the second fiddle in, in that um, age. So genuinely, these, these women spearheaded and recognised that there was no statutory supports for people who were blind. And as a result, they were, those individuals were quite destitute. So there was a recognition of a need to ensure that these individuals who were blind or vision impaired um, got some financial support, but also got... Um, an ability to um, communicate with uh, the world through Braille um, and to try and promote their independence um, and to essentially see them as as, as valued members of society. Your headquarters, you've been in uh, Whitworth Road there uh, since when? Late 80s at this stage you've been there. You were around the place before that. Correct, yeah. No, we've been in the head office now since 1987 and that was the Drumcondra former fever hospital. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. So it, it had a, a number of lives until, until we came along. Um, and I suppose out of that office, uh, we have a, a suite of services that we provide. Um, and then we have our offices scattered across the country, including in, in Dundalk, um, to serve the, the individuals who are blind or vision impaired in the northeast as well. Yes. Now, 
Yeah, like all charities and all organisations, uh, the, the last while has been a real challenge for you. But celebrating this 90th year, uh, you're not sitting on your laurels because you're, you're determined that you're going to drive this organi- organisation forward. You know, this last year obviously has made you think and, and, and you've had to, to, to uh, readjust. So what, what were the big changes in the recent past and what are you looking to in the future? Um, I suppose the, the biggest recent change, and this was uh, spearheaded a, a lot by COVID, but it was kind of bubbling to the surface anyway, was um, the whole connection with technology and mm. essentially seeing technology as an enabler for people who are blind and vision impaired. There are so many gadgets, apps and devices that are present at the minute that just assist people to maximise their independence, either living at home or enabling them to get back into the labour market. Um, so a, a lot of our work would be to try and essentially upskill individuals on, on the val- values of technology, which, of course, would not have been around in 1931. Um, and I suppose some of our long-standing services are around um, nearly rehabilitative services. So if an individual does receive a diagnosis of sight loss, to assist that individual to come to terms with that, because, of course, it's life-changing, um, to upskill them to make sure that they can live independently, feel, still feel happy, confident going out and about, um, doing your daily chores like cooking and cleaning and all those kind of things, um, which you take for granted when you do have your vision. But when um, it is being robbed of you either suddenly or slowly, you need to learn those skills to, to make sure that you can still live independently. For sure, and it is a life-changing moment, but one that life changes but continues and can be enhanced with uh, your help and all of the assistance that is there at, at this stage. Um, just one thing comes to my mind, your shops are, are, are really prominent and Good God Almighty, a very important revenue stream for you and you lost uh, a huge part of, of last year. That had to be really difficult. Um, you're dead right, yes. I mean, I suppose what makes charity shops unique from other retailers is the fact that all of the profits raised go straight back into providing services. So um, we certainly lost the close to, to five million in terms of revenue from sales. And then with the closure of our fundraising activities, it, it certainly uh, was a challenge to make sure we were we were constantly available and, and be able to provide those services for people. Our shops are such a vital tool in our armory. Um, we have 130 right across the, the country. Um, the latest one that we opened was in Ashburn. Um, we've called it Renewed for NCBI. It's a, a, just a different spin. Some of our shops are kind of the, this renewed model, which is kind of um, reinforcing our message around sustainability and trying to promote um, people helping to save the planet by shopping secondhand. Yes. Um, and the shop in Ashburn sells um, pre-loved clothes and furniture, similar to our shop in Drogheda, and it would be similar type size as well. So our, our shops are just such, a, such an important piece to our business. Um, and I certainly would encourage all your listeners to, to support local and pop into their local NCBI shop. And I would too. And if you have uh, loved uh, items of clothing or other things in your home and you're thinking of, uh, you know, moving them on, do please consider uh, the National Council for the Blind and their shops. Just on another point, um, I I wanted to ask you, you know, when somebody gets a diagnosis and their sight fails and then, of course, they have to pick up, as we were saying, a, a, a new type of life. 
What about, you know, our streetscapes and getting about our villages and towns and cities? How much, June, you know, has that come on? Or is the cognizance of that with planners and developers? Um, It's quite mixed, to be honest, Jerry. Some um, local authorities would be in touch with a lot of them um, if they are proposing a new um, urban area or uh, changing into their footpath or, or whatever, um, they would reach out to us to kind of make sure that the at the design stage that the needs of people who are blind and vision impaired are taken into account and others are, are less proactive. And I suppose at this point in time, um, as we are having this outdoor summer due to COVID, so many of streets are now... Um, cluttered essentially yes. with outdoor furniture yes. and I can totally understand why the bars, restaurants and hotels need to maximise their space and maximise their revenue, they, they certainly have been affected by Covid um, and I suppose our message really would be to, to businesses and to general public just to make sure that there's enough um, footpath still uh, available for an individual who's blind or vision impaired to pass by um, often being blind or vision impaired it's, it's a hidden disability not everybody uses a cane not everybody uses a guide dog um, so it's just being a little more conscious uh, of the, the needs of individuals because as you can appreciate um, a chair that's moved out of a cordoned area poses a trip hazard for somebody um, or if an individual is, is yes. dining outside and their shopping bags are um, now moved away from the table it, it too can cause hazards so it's, it's just a question of um, us constantly asking businesses and the general public to just be a little more mindful. At the end of the day, COVID-19 has affected everybody, but for someone who's blind or vision impaired, they can't social distance because you're not going to be able to see two metres distance or to um, see the new floor markings or the the hand sanitising stations, all those kind of things that are now part of the landscape. Um, And if someone is blind or vision impaired, they're not necessarily going to be able to do that. A guide dog obviously can't gauge what a two meters. Yes, true, true. And and I've had messages to the show, June, in recent times, just pointing this out to me with all the new furniture and tables and that that it is proving more difficult to, uh, for people who have in their mind's eye who have uh, limited vision where they normally went. They're running into things now. So we say to people, as June says, there, please be aware of those who are struggling and uh, who are uh, impaired with no sight or partial sight as well. And to the planners, all planners in our councils, etc., to please be cognizant of it as well. Now, look, at you have a range, you touched on there, the technology, uh, the rehabilitation. When somebody is uh, diagnosed uh, with failing sight, you have lots of advice, emotional support and counselling. But a couple of ones I wanted to talk about before we finish. Employment, employment for people who, you know, who have limited vision. What's the story there? Um, unfortunately, in, in Ireland, the employment rate is very, very low. It's about 25% of people who are blind and vision impaired are in employment. Um, so certainly NCBI is being proactive in trying to increase that rate. The reality is the vast bulk of jobs can be done by someone who's blind or vision impaired if they're given the appropriate um either software or um, adaptations that they need to do the role. Um, And I think we have a role in um, increasing the awareness amongst public of individuals' capabilities um, and not focus on the disability. Because I do think there is a combination of kind of employers making assumptions that an individual won't be able to do the role because they're vision impaired. um, and, And that's not necessarily the case. Many, many roles can be adapted 
um, and it, it might we kind of work with employers to inform them of what supports are available. We certainly work with individuals who are blind or vision impaired and are looking for mm. jobs and we proactively work with them to try and improve their kind of um, interview skills and uh, techniques and, and all that so that they are as competitive as any other job seeker. So it, it is a piece of work that we, we constantly want to, uh, to bring to people's attention. Yes. I mean, the, the other reality is um, a lot of people would become uh, vision impaired later in life. So many individuals would be close to retirement age or, or beyond. So, so they wouldn't be active in the labour market anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point to make. But for those that are, uh, there are opportunities and these can be worked on and developed with the uh, will and a way. The other thing people love to read, looking at the leisure time now, and uh, you offer an extensive range of supports uh, through library. Yes, this is um, um, a service that NCBI has been offering since day one. And actually, even when the organisation was connected with RNIB, it's been operating for well over 100 years. Um, and the library service has modernised extensively. Not only does it still offer some um, Braille and large print books for individuals who prefer that, but an awful lot of the catalogue is now digital. So that means it's available in audio, it's in large print, it's in digital Braille, it's in PDF, it's in um, just such a variety yes. that when an individual um, joins the library, um, they can kind of request their preference and still get catalogues and a suite of books that are available um, to them, both academic books as well as kind of leisure titles as well. Um, and it's certainly free to join. Anybody who is blind or vision impaired can simply email library mm. at ncbi.ie. Really good. Well, look at uh, you're doing great work. There's a message in there, Jerry. I volunteered with the NCBI for eleven years. They're wonderful people. It's a vital charity. Please support. Thank you for that nice message today to the show. Um, and as we finish, I will remind people of your website, ncbi.ie, and uh, the number I have it there beside me is eighteen fifty double three four three five three. And just to say again before you finish, don't forget. LMFM Radio Bingo is supporting NCBI. Very much so, and it's a partnership that's working out very well. Um, and the, most of the bingo books are available in um, your local centre, Londis, Daybreak, all those kind of things, post office. Um, I've seen them in, in, in many stores, which is great. And um, it's, it, it's a, essentially a partnership that the revenue generated from it means that we can continue delivering our yeah. services. And the, thankfully, the, the jackpot prizes are quite attempting. Oh, as well. they're great, they're great. And you can get your books online, lmfm.ie as well. June, happy birthday. Congratulations to one and all. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's June Tinsley there, who's head of communications with the National Council for the Blind of Ireland. I love a cherry cake. I love a cherry cake. And McCluskey's Bakery and Drada used to make them. They don't make them anymore. There was loads of cherries in them. But I love cherries in a fruitcake even, but it was a cherry cake. And I saw a cherry cake in a different shop. Not a local brand, but a well-known one. And I bought it. It's the cherry cake with no cherries. Honest to God, I couldn't find a cherry in it. Now, I'm heading towards the last slice at the minute. Do you ever get a cake like that? Do you ever get a cherry cake with no cherries in it? Am I just unlucky? Should the same happen to me with the beans? I'm coming back to the beans. I've done the beans test. I didn't forget about it. We're going to have the beans top of the pops here one afternoon on late lunch. A cherry cake with no cherries. And my mother used to say to me when I was a little fella, a cherry for Jerry. Now, she never called me. She called me Jared. I keep telling you this. Only when she was 
baking and there were cherries involved, she'd just say that little phrase for me. And I've always loved them since. I was so disappointed. There was no cherries in my cake. I really was. Anyway, uh, what was I to say to you? Peter's up Peter, my old friend. I'm worn out of them. I'm, I don't know how his wife sticks them. I'm worn out of them here in late lunch. He's back to me again. Jerry Kelly show. Unfortunately, poor Paddy. Paddy was on, you know, saying that the government were right. And look what happened at Christmas. Poor Paddy is totally brainwashed, says Peter. The medical dictators and the minions in government. I feel so sorry for, for poor Paddy and his ilk who have given away their freedoms to an evil cult like these. Ah, oh, Peter. Peter. We know who's brainwashed. Yes, we do, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. We know who's brainwashed. It's not us. Get the jab, Peter. Come on, get the jab. The more of us get the jab, we're going to get out of this. You know it yourself. I'm not alone with no cherries in the cherry cake, I have to tell you. No, I'm not. I'm not. Hi, Jerry. My dad flipped when he got an apple tart with no apples. I think that's worse than the cherry cake. I really do. And there's another one. Yes, Jerry. I got a fruit cake recently, and I have to say there was barely a currant in it, says uh, Elizabeth. This afternoon, thank you indeed for those. Listen to this one, folks. I'm 75 living alone the only place my friends and I meet is in the local for bingo and Saturday night music we don't live close and don't drive and they won't go outdoors and they're still afraid to meet in each other's homes Neffet has a lot of old people very afraid Jerry. I'm so angry they're living the last years of their lives not mixing sad and lonely and it's affecting everybody's mental health I miss my friends so much and my husband who died before COVID. I don't know who you are, but that's a really sad message. It really is. And I hear what you're saying and I'm sure listeners hear what you're saying today as well. You know, the missing that, the local, the local in rural areas, in towns where it was a local to people living close by as well. The only place they'd maybe meet someone in a day, enjoy a drink there, a chat, the bingo, a bit of music. It's a huge loss. It really, really is. I just say to you, keep as strong as you can. Keep the faith. Keep keep that hope alive that things will get better. Things will get better sooner rather than later. But thank you for sending me that message today. You've touched my heart and many others, I'm sure, as well. Now, I move on on the show and it's time to tell you about my Artist of the Week. The police are my Artist of the Week this week. 1980 saw album number three, Zenyatta Mandata, make number one and yielded the best-selling single of that year, Don't Stand So Close to Me. Ghost in the Machine would be their next compilation in 1981 with the likes of Every Little Thing and Spirits in the Material World emerging as big hit singles. With money rolling in, both Sting and Andy Summers became UK tax exiles, moving to Ireland, yes, to Ireland, to avoid paying the Queen's shilling. Stuart Copeland, however, remained in England. But as Sting and Summers embarked on solo projects, relationships became strained. Still, an uneasy piece saw the police release their final studio album, Synchronicity, in 1983, which saw them acclaimed, at the time, I remember it, as the biggest rock band in the world. The album stayed at number one for seven weeks in the USA, won awards to beat the band, and the subsequent world tour was a phenomenal success. But at the end of the tour, police went on a hiatus for the next two years. Was this the end? 
I'll tell you tomorrow. But today, let's reprise this one. Not one of the biggest hits, quite different, but a song from the police that I absolutely love. Do, do, do. The da, da, da. I love that police song, I have to say. One of my favourites of all their songs, and they have some crackers for sure. Anyway, more from the police and about them at this time tomorrow on your late lunch. Final break of the afternoon, and then we're talking cricket. It's summertime, and it's a great time of the year for cricket. It's a huge game, you know, across the world. And here in Ireland, haven't we had our own successes in recent times? But Dundalk and cricket, what's the story? Yes, there is a club in Dundalk and they're on their way for the summer. And I'm joined on late lunch this afternoon by the club's children's officer, Michael Hughes. Hello, Michael. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome to late lunch. Well, tell us the story. I'm intrigued. Cricket in Dundalk. Apparently, there's a few guys who've done a bit of research on it. And back in the 1850s, there would have been more than one team. And there's been a few attempts in re- more recent years to get something going. But in about 2009, when Ireland had started having their own success, uh, a few kind of locals and a few immigrants like myself got together and got something set up. And we've been going about, yeah, about 11 years now. Um, and we're looking to sort of expand and and get into kind of youth cricket as well. So it's uh, why I'm talking to you today. Isn't it great to hear that cricket is going well for that length of time in the border town? Now tell us, where do you play your games and what's the story with the club? What teams have you got? Well, at the moment we've just got um, uh, just the one senior team and actually they've played their first game since this whole COVID thing began on Saturday. They went down to Dublin Phoenix and they won, which is great. But obviously, as I say, we, we, we've always had a few kind of interested youngsters playing, but we, they've always had to, we've either mixed in with other teams, we linked in with Russia at one point to have a kind of combined junior team, or they play in the, in the adult teams as well. But we'd really love to get something started for a kids team here. And you play in the shadow of the soccer club's ground, Oriel Park. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We sort of play uh, an errant shot away if uh, someone... Shot over the Carrick Road end, and uh, uh, it could bounce down the hill straight onto our pitch. Yeah, um, we're literally in the shadow down there in the uh, in the Carrick Road. Yeah, Heine Park is your home venue. So look, it is summertime, and the weather's gorgeous at the moment. Ideal for cricket. You're looking for young people to join the club. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're, what we're running initially is just a kind of summer camp, which is open to anyone. If you've never played before, that's fine. We'll. Uh, teach you the basics and get you going but what I would love my dream actually would be by the end of the summer is if we could have a, a Dundalk team playing a playing a youth match um, that would be the aim and then roll on to, to next year and, and really ramp it up and you're uh, enlisting the help of a wonderful Irish cricketer I can tell you I remember that great time in the 2011 World Cup when we beat England I don't like saying that to you I know Kevin O'Brien what a famous cricketer he is and he's coming to give you a dig out he is indeed yeah um, yeah I don't mind I, once I've been living here nearly 20 years now so I was happy to see Ireland win that one even though he had terrible pink hair that day which I'll remind <laughs> him about when he comes up to us but yeah no he's he's set up his own uh, Kevin O'Brien Cricket Academy and he's sort of got into the coaching side and he's still playing as well 
But yeah, no, he's absolutely going to come down on, on one of the evenings at the camp and give us the benefit of the experience. It'll be a great thrill for everyone to, to have him round. It is a wonderful game, cricket. I have to say, you know, people say, oh, it's very complicated. I don't understand it. it. When you get to understand it and pay a little attention to the rules, it's just fantastic. Well, I, th- I think it's a wonderful game. But actually, once we bring in kids in, they really don't need to know more than hit it as hard as you can, you know, throw it as hard as you can, run and chase it and try and bowl people out, hit the wickets when you're bowling and everything. And really, some of the more intricate rules, you just you just don't need to know at all. Until I've loads of, I've been playing 30 years, and I, there's a few little oddities that I wouldn't know about. So you can get great enjoyment out of it at a beginner level. And it is for all ages. People play it from a young age right through to senior level and enjoy it at whatever level you're at. The game itself, you know, Test Cricket is the five-day event, but it's been revolutionised, hasn't it, by the shorter formats of the game, especially the 50-over and the T20 now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kevin O'Brien himself, would, I reckon he would have played on every single continent as a professional cricketer, which for an Irishman is sort of unheard of, really. He's been out in Nepal and he's been you know, to, out to Canada and obviously the West Indies and all sorts of places, New Zealand, everywhere, really, playing this 20-over cricket as a professional. And, it, you know, it just, it just really draws in the crowd. So when the purists love the, the five-day stuff the, where nothing happens for a couple of hours and then sudden a rush of action. But the 20-over stuff, which is what any, any child would play, all the, all the kids' cricket would be 20-over. It's just thrilling. And actually, Ireland are... Um, they've just announced today that this year's 20-over World Cup is going to be in the UAE and Ireland are in that and Kevin will be there as well. And hopefully we can take a few more scalps. Great. Now, do you need to be of an ability? Do you need to be a sport type of person? No. Do you need any equipment to join in these camps? No, if you're coming to the camp, just turn up in your tracksuit and all you need to bring is enthusiasm, really. We've all the bits and bobs and the equipment. There's obviously with COVID and everything, we're not. we wouldn't be using all the stuff so it's kind of more a basic level but literally you don't need anything we'll we'll get you started and get you going and we have all the stuff there so we can just literally get the kids out in the field and get them enjoying it i wish this were around when i was a child because we improvised uh, ourselves i'll never forget it in the gaelic grounds at the headquarters of the ga in loudon drogheda we cut out a crease we put up stumps that i'd received as a gift from my uncle in england and we tried to play it in a rudimentary fashion but i just wish you were around at that stage to give me the opportunity to really experience the game. But here, folks, is your opportunity now. So how do people, you know, get in touch with you and when is this beginning? What's the story around that and the cost? Start this Thursday, July the 1st. We're running on once a week, over six weeks, some Thursdays, some Fridays, because Dundalk FC are playing in Europe and hopefully they have another mm. good run. So we're working around that. But anyone who's interested, uh, please give us an email on contact at dundalkcricket.com. Just register your interest there. We'll get straight back to you and, and, and give you all the details. And it's €40, Euro, which covers all the evenings of the camp, including Kevin's visit and any matches we play subsequently that covers the match fees as well. And it's open to boys and girls between the uh, ages uh, of... Yeah, 10 to 15, boys and girls. We ran one in 2019 and we had an, a, a very even split. And, you know, if we could get a boys team and a girls team going, that'd be great. But if we can get kind of even just one uh, youth, mixed youth team I do it. That would be absolutely fantastic. It's a great game. I say it again, and something that 
you should experience and you never know by going along to one of these camps you could be the next Kevin O'Brien boy or girl find out what it's all about and it could be for you so just to say again contact at dundalkcricket.com contact at dundalkcricket.com register your interest there and it begins this Thursday evening Michael I wish you well it's great to hear about cricket alive and well and prospering and looking to the future in Dundalk perfect Jerry. keep in touch thanks very much that's a lot on late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Tomorrow on the show, CEO of the FAI, Jonathan Hill, is joining me. Dave Hewitt, Irish Mini Breaks, is here to recommend to you. The Carher Brothers from Dundalk will entertain us. And Karen Cohn from Alone. Tomorrow on late lunch. But we leave you today, yes, with the cricket song. It is 10cc and dreadlock holiday. Eddie's next. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.